Okay, this is the Wisconsin Lighting Lab Willcast. My name is Adam Rupp, and today my guest is Mark Hubbard. He's a field applications engineer with a company called Little Fuse. Uh, Mark, welcome to the Willcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's. Uh, I guess let's start out by give me a few background details on Little Fuse, where you guys kind of position yourself in the in the market, and then your background in the in the industry. Sure. Little Fuse is over a 90-year-old company, and we kind of grew out of circuit protection, and we currently have the broadest and deepest portfolio of circuit protection products in the industry. Uh, we're also accelerating our growth in other synergistic areas, including power semi-control products, as well as sensing devices in that area. Uh, from a circuit protection standpoint, we, because of the breadth of our product line, we offer anything to protect anything that um, uses electrical energy. So this can be applications that are connected to the AC mains, DC power ports, uh, as well as telecommunication and datacom uh, interfaces. And we also cover several different markets because of our breadth of product, anywhere from consumer to industrial to automotive, medical, mill arrow, and of course lighting. And when when I think about the the electrical grid and you know why you know a company like Little Fuse exists, I think you know oftentimes. It's it's kind of misunderstood. We you know we all use electronics products, whether it's at our homes and our businesses, um, you know pretty much anywhere. And you know when you look at power generation, power distribution, and then local you know power distribution panels, you know why what is the need for protecting circuits for protecting products in, in your mind? Yeah, there's several different ki kinds of faults, and really we're trying to protect against certain abnormalities that can occur on the grid or on the line. Uh, and, you know, we offer products that protect for overcurrent type of situations. It's really more like a short circuit fault or a ground fault type, type of issue. But also on the grid, there are surge events that can occur. And a surge event is essentially a short duration release of electrical energy. And this can cause large spikes on the line that can cause high voltages. They typically will last within, you know, a few microseconds to maybe several milliseconds. Uh, but they can cause all kinds of uh, issues or, or damage anywhere from a soft failure such as a latch up or malfunction of the equipment all the way to a hard component failure or even potential a, a safety issue for the user. So it's important to ensure that you have the proper protection on the lines, one to keep your equipment operating because anytime you have uh, down equipment that becomes costly as well as mm -hmm. the, the cost of having to actually do the repairs. It, you know, it's, it, you know, all electronic products are, are built to a certain electrical spec. You know, they're designed to work with a certain uh, voltage, a certain amperage within a certain tolerance. And in many cases, by the time the power gets to the product itself, it's out of tolerance. It might be out of tolerance for a brief second, or you might have certain instances where utility transformers are out of their operating tolerance. Um, and, and when you guys are protecting circuits, protecting products, where do you start? Do you start, uh, you know, at the distribution panel within a building? Um, and I know you also, you know, we use some of your products uh, on board with our fixtures, but your, your, your breadth of products, where do they start in, in the circuit itself? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and really it does. It starts at the service entrance, um, you know, from the, from the service drop from the utility down into directly into the, into the building itself and as well as in the distribution panel uh, for both over voltage and over current. So at the distribution panel, you have branch protection or over current protection to protect against any type of a ground fault, which really is there to prevent fires or potential shock hazards, mm -hmm. uh, but as well as transient events that can occur. And having something at that service panel or, or distribution panel is kind of the first line of defense uh, into the facility. 
Now, typically though, that's only gonna protect you to a certain level. Uh, it's designed to handle a large amount of energy, but even at that point, there's still gonna be some let through energy because it's only gonna protect down to a particular level. So it's also important then throughout the the system itself that you have at different points you have protection, whether it's at the distribution panel or even at the end equipment. Um, because by the time you get to the end equipment, hopefully that energy has been knocked down to a, a good level, but you still want to ensure that your equipment is well protected to protect any let through energy that might occur. Yeah, and over the last year, our engineering team, we've been, we've been doing a deep dive into uh, surge protection and, and really power management in general. As, as lighting has transitioned from you know, the legacy technologies, HID fluorescent to, to solid state technology. Um, I think people are starting to realize how much more susceptible those products are to transient voltage events. And, and what we've, what we've done is, you know, we're trying to take a holistic approach to it rather than just focus on, on our lane, which is manufa design and manufacturing product. If our, if our products are being plugged into complicated electrical systems, we really need to understand everything from the panel all the way to the product that could be 80 feet up in the air. So, um, you know, when you talk about kind of that, that cascading, um, you know, protection, it's panel. And then like for a sports application, it would be the base of the pole and then on the fixture itself. Right. Yeah. And you bring up a good point too, especially considering legacy lighting when, you know, it's high pressure sodium and those types of technologies, those are very robust. So they and really why, why is that the case? Is it because the, the, the ballast was transforming the voltage and it was able to handle more of those transients, but why is that technology more robust? Yeah, it's just, it was just the way it was set up because of, of the, uh, the, the ratings or the levels of energy that those types of technologies could handle I see. either short duration or even handle, you know, certain low voltage situations or things like that. Uh, but when we start to move to solid state, solid state by nature is more sensitive. Uh, and that's where the LED lighting comes in. And that's what I think a lot of people started to realize as they started to transition into LED lighting. The benefits are great. You know, you get you know, lower power usage, you've got long-term reliability. But especially in an outdoor application, to realize that long-term reliability that you can get out of that fixture, you have to make sure that it's protected and, and can hold up under transient events. Mm -hmm. And because of the greater sensitivity due to the solid-state nature of it, you are going to need to start adding in some extra protection to make sure that those are you're going to achieve that longevity that you're trying to get out of this new technology. And it's funny too, you know, historically I think when when LED light fixtures have issues, a lot of people their knee-jerk reaction is to blame the driver. You know, the, the, dr the driver is failing. It must be a bad driver. must be overheating. You know, there's, there's a whole host of reasons that people thought it was failing. And I never liked that explanation because in my mind, it's a symptom, not, not the cause. And you really have to go further upstream to understand why the driver is failing. And, uh, you know, as we started to dive into it, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't, you know, our, investigation and didn't even stop at the pole level it's you know then you went back to the distribution panel then you realize that you know in some cases people aren't measuring the output of the transformer and again especially for mission critical applications you know sports lighting high mass lighting um, you know applications where the products are tough to service you're having that holistic approach is, is important yeah it really is important because that's a lot of times that's where these these issues are coming from uh, yeah. they're, they're coming from the grid they're coming from the system from the electrical system and if you don't have have a well-regulated or reliable system that's going to start to wreak havoc on on the equipment that you're attaching to it and you talked about outdoor applications being more susceptible uh you know i, I think that i look at indoor applications too and when, when i walk through industrial plants even hospitals 
you know, other types of facilities that have had solid state electronics for, for decades. I mean, you look at CNC equipment, you look at robotics automation equipment, um, you know, people in that business have known for a long time that, you know, for, for this piece of, you know, $10 million machinery to operate properly, it has to, has to get good power. Um, so did you guys, a lot of your expertise, you know, was it learned in those types of applications and now it's getting applied to lighting or what other types of jobs indoor and outdoor do you see where the same type of like, you know, tender loving care needs to be given to them just like, you know, lighting products as well? Yeah. Um, it's, it really did kind of grow out of, you know, what we have experienced in the industry. And when we start, you know, it's funny when you talk about indoor applications, like you said, those have been around for a long time. We've been protecting those types of devices for a long time. But the exposure level that you generally have in an indoor environment is a lot different than you're going to have in an outdoor environment. Sure. One, you know, it's in a, it's in a building, it's an enclosure, which is going to help limit some of the, <clears throat> some of the transient events that can be uh, ingressed into, into the facility. Not to mention you have the upstream <clears throat> protection at the service entrance, and then that propagates down into the protection at the equipment level. So generally you don't need something as robust as you might need in an outdoor application. So when we start talking about outdoor applications, now you're out in the environment and you have a much higher exposure level. The other issue too is generally you're going to have long runs of cables. Maybe in a hmm. facility you only have a short run, maybe it's 30 meters or something like that um, or 30 feet, but when you get outdoor now you're talking hundreds of feet of, of cabling that's being run from the distribution panel to the pole and then even up the, the mass to the, to the light fixture itself. And that in and of itself becomes an exposure point. So when a lightning, so for instance a lightning event occurs, uh, the amount of large current flow that goes through the lightning event creates a large electromagnetic field, and that gets coupled onto the cabling that's either above ground or below ground. So if you're on a transmission line, that gets propagated into the facility where it meets the you know, primary protection and then gets propagated down the line. Um, whereas an outdoor, it can even be propagated past the distribution panel into the cabling that's running from the distribution panel to the light and even up the pole. So it's even more important to have a level of protection at those different locations. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, at at the panel itself, the more the distribution panel, you, you're making sure the incoming power is regulated between the transformer and the panel itself. From there, let's say a sports application between the distribution panel and the light pole itself, you'd want another, you know, combination of surge protection fusing at the base of the pole to more or less protect that circuit underground between the panel and the pole. And then at the onboard at the fixture, you'd want a, a, a third layer. Um, to protect anything that happens between the base of the pole and the top? Would that be a general architecture? That's, yeah, general architecture. Okay. Plus, it's also even, it's, you know, the stuff that can occur within, the, between those locations, but also any, if it occurs on the mains through the distribution panel, there's still some let-through energy that gets through. So it's also there to try to protect even from uh, a, a mains type of event that gets propagated through the line. So it's really twofold in a way that you're trying to protect both. Got it. Do you guys do anything with uh, with voltage sag, or is it pretty much on the on the surge part of the the, the problem? We really don't. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's an area we don't really deal with regulation or noise or or voltage sag. Uh, you know, there's some uh, impedance devices that can be used or filters that are typically used to to deal with those types of events. We're really more focused on the transient or surge event protection level. Okay, and when it comes to uh, electrical impedance. Um, I know we've had some of our, our systems tested 
just to ensure that the, you know, say, say there's a, a parallel wired surge protector on board in the fixture. Um, we, we've, we know we, there's been some cases where if there is a transient event, it still will affect the driver before it affects the surge protection device. Um, what, what type of testing do you do um, you know, to make sure that uh, you know, those impedance values are matched? Yeah, that's, and that's something we found too as we were growing in this industry as well. We discovered that there's a, a coordination issue that can occur between the external module protection used in the fixture as well as the uh, protection that's used internal to the driver. So the drivers themselves have a certain level of protection, and this can be anywhere from 4 kV to 6 kV typically. Uh, there are some that are looking at 10 kV, but usually 6 kV is about as high as they will go, which is fine for an indoor lighting type of application. But as you move that outdoors, and that becomes insufficient to protect against the type of events that you might experience. So that's why you use a module on the outside. The problem is, depending upon how those match up, whether it's their voltage rating or uh, the amount of impedance that's in between, it could still end up that most of or too much energy, not all of the energy, but too much energy still gets pushed through the driver itself. Uh, for instance, if the voltage rating is slightly lower on the surge protection that's in the driver as compared to what's used as the module, it will turn on first hmm. and it will start to take more of the energy. And therefore, you're still dissipating some energy in the module, but it's not limiting it enough to protect the driver. So there's things you can do to try to help with that. And the main thing is, is try to make sure there's enough uh, impedance in between the two devices or coordinating impedance or inductance. And, you know, it's not really practical to add an inductor into the <laughs> line, but sometimes the cabling itself will offer that, offer that level of protection. The other uh, option is really just test it with the driver just to ensure that there is that coordination between the module that you're planning to use as well as the driver that you're planning to use. Um, or we've also done some development where we've added in some extra electronics into the module to reduce the amount of let through voltage to help with that coordination issue. So what type of testing equipment would you recommend for either you know contractors who might test the the panel surge protection you know versus some of the other electronic components then more you know like for factories that are, are manufacturing product once they have their system architecture in place if they wanted to test and match the impedance values between the surge protection devices and the drivers what's available for factories to to test those systems i know we, we do a high pot test i believe after but that doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily test the surge protector versus the um versus the driver, I believe that's testing just the, the ground continuity in the system. But what other equipment might be available? Yeah, uh, ground continuity is important, and, um, you know, it, it, it helps, but HiPod is really more of a test of a, the insulation resistance of, of a system. It doesn't really help test against uh, transient events like okay. lightning or uh, EFT or inductive switching type of events. To do those, really need to test those in a lab. Um, and using things like a combination wave generator, which is really designed to simulate a lightning strike at different voltage levels, as well as an EFT tester, which is designed to test uh, switching of inductive loads on, on a system or on a line, uh, as well as some ring wave testers as well. Um, and if you're going to do that in a lab too, typically you want to do it as it's connected to the AC mains because where it happens on the phase of the AC cycle can have an effect as well. So typically you'll need a coupler-decoupler network uh, to allow to attach the power to the fixture itself but isolate the transient from the rest of the electrical system so you don't cause any additional damage. So for us it sounds like 
have a relationship with a good lab. Yeah. <laughs> it get, and, uh, might, might get a little complicated if we try to do all that uh, on our own. And that's obviously yeah. something we can help yeah. with. Uh, we actually have a lab in Chicago. We have a couple more uh, globally yeah. where we can do this type of testing. If you can provide us with the fixtures uh, the, the or just the drivers and things like that, we can help uh, identify if there's going to be a coordination issue with the particular topology or setup that you're using. Okay. Well, very cool. So rules of thumb for let's let's focus on outdoor sports applications. Uh, you know, we work on on a lot of jobs. It could be a, a recreational ball field. The electrical infrastructure has been there for for 40 years. The transformer might be, you know, several decades old. Okay. If you were in charge of specifying, uh, you know, electrical protection equipment for that type of application and it's a customer that might be on a budget um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a contractor that's, you know, in charge of, of sourcing all of the, all of the electrical hardware. Um, what are the rules of thumb you would use starting at the, at the panel itself? Uh, I think it's probably best to refer back to some of the standards that have been developed uh, that provide guidance. Is on that an NEC code standards or going above and beyond well, NEC? Kind of above and beyond. So okay. NET, NEC is, is sort of the, the base, level, base level standard, but it, mm -hmm. a lot of times will reference different standards uh, when it comes to certain aspects of, of the electrical grid and how to test okay. for it. Uh, for instance, uh, like IEEE C62 is one of the primary standards that's used for uh, developing a simulation uh, type of waveform or test for lightning or other types of transients. And usually they'll pull from that to say, okay, here's, here's the test levels, here's the waveform, and these are the types of things that you could experience, or if you meet these, you're in a much better position to be able to survive these types of events once you hook them up uh, to the field or once you're in the field. Granted, it's, you know, it's, it, in the field, it's all over the place, yeah. right? Yep. But they've done a lot of studies of, of systems and grids and, and whether it's lightning activity or, or, or switching, and that's how they've developed these uh, simulation um, standards or guidelines on how to test to ensure that your equipment will hold up. And in terms of the product itself, you know, say, say it's an off-the-shelf off the uh, surge protection device, what, what should a contractor look to source if, if they kind of wanted to take care of all of those potential issues? Would it end up being a, um, I don't know if it's a type two or a type one surge protection device that gets hooked in parallel at the panel, but if you had to kind of cut through all the, all the noise and just say this is the part that you would need, you know, if it's, assume it's installed properly, it should take care of 80% you know, of the issues, what type of device would that be at the panel? So at the panel itself, I think primarily you're going to be looking at a type two type two. Ty type of SPD because okay. that's really anything that is on going to be connected on the output or the load side of the distribution panel would be a type two, and this is per the UL fourteen forty nine standard. Okay, perfect. And the type two device though can have different levels of capability. So for instance, if you look at the standard uh, from a surge aspect, it can range anywhere from uh, five thousand volt capability all the way up to uh, 20,000 volt capability. Uh, I'm sorry, 5,000 amp to 20,000 amp capability. So if you're unsure of your system and how well regulated or how well protected it is, then you may want to go to the higher end mm -hmm. of that of that level to ensure you have the best level of protection. If you know that it's a pretty well controlled line, then maybe you know you can go down to the lower rated type type of SPD. A uh, type one is actually at the service entrance, so that's really kind of in front of you know the distribution panel or the meter. 
Um, so that's kind of a different sort of aspect, and those are typically going to be either 10KA or 20KA rated type type of devices. Okay, and then at the say the base of the pole, what type of device would that be? At base of pole, you can also <laughs> look at uh, a, a type two uh, type of protection, um, or you could even potentially look at something that's more of a type. This, these are considered type four, so these are modules. Generally, these are used in the fixture. You could also consider using them at the base of the pole for some added, added protection. Um, but it, at that point, it doesn't necessarily have to be a type two, type mm -hmm. one rated type of device because that's really more what's required at the distribution panel. Uh, the standard calls out that once you go beyond 10 meters or 30 feet, then it starts to become a type three type of pr protection device. So there are some of those available too that you might be able to consider using at, at the base of the pole, which is more of a type three level, which is, which is a lower, lower rating. Um, but given that this is an outdoor application, you still might want to consider a higher surge level in the, you know, probably in the five to 10 KA minimum type, B bigger, type of bigger is better. Yeah. Right? Bigger is better. Yep. Right. Right. <clears throat> and, and do you have a suite of products, uh, you know, bolt on products or what are your components going into other products? A little bit of both. Okay. So okay. Uh, as I think we talked before about, you know, type one SPDs yep. and, um, you know, it's, it, that's really a piece of equipment. And an, uh, an SPD has different aspects to it. One is its ability to protect against surge. Another, it has overcurrent type of capabilities, whether it's an intermediate current or short circuit current level. And we provide the components that go into those devices. So Primarily, you're going to find something like uh, a metal oxide varistor product, and this is going to be the primary surge protection device that's used in uh, an SPD or surge, surge and protection that's, device. That's inside that, uh, that mold. Correct, and that's okay. also what's used in, inside these molds as well, and they're also the, the type of devices that are used inside type 1, type 2 surge protection devices. Um, and then we also offer sort of assembled devices, which are more what you see here, mm -hmm. uh, which were designed specifically for the lighting industry for outdoor fixtures. And these also include these suppression components um, as well as some other mechanisms for, there's a mechanism for thermal protection. Um, and in some cases, like uh, with the coordination issues, we'll add in some TBS diodes or GDTs for isolation. So it really just kind of depends on what the requirement is of the system that, that is needed for. So, Do you do anything with power monitoring or you know, surge spike? counters or other types of voltage and power monitoring? We really don't. Okay. There are power power system analyzers that can be used to, to measure not just spikes, but they can also be used to measure power quality, whether there's variations in frequency or voltage or sags or swells, those types of things. You can collect that data in real time. Surge events are a little more tricky because they're more infrequent, so they don't happen quite as often. So usually something like a data logger can be used that will take measurements over a long period of time, and then you can analyze that data and kind of see what your transient activity looks like, which could give you a much better idea of what level of protection you might need for that system. Okay. So where do you, th where do you see things going uh, in the lighting industry with your, with your product suite? Is it... Are you guys developing more products to, to solve these issues, or are you are you guys comfortable where things are at right now, or what, what does the next few years look like from a product standpoint? Yeah, it's been kind of a growing process for us through this. Uh, you know, this was kind of our first entry into into the, the lighting protection system where we integrated in, into a module like this, and as we've, you know, grown with the industry, you know, we've come across different needs. Uh, for instance, uh, 
you know, th that was primarily just an MOV type of, of protection. Uh, but as we started to look into the European territory, you can't connect MOVs to ground in certain systems. <laughs> so we were adding in GDTs to provide that isolation. Uh, as well as then with the coordination issue, we're adding in TVSs and some inductors to try to, pr to cut down that voltage level. So we're limiting the amount of energy that goes into the system. Um, you know, and the, the industry is also very price sensitive too. So, you know, we're doing other things for customers depending on the need that maybe are a shrink wrap, uh, you know, not, not as much functionality, but, uh, but, you know, still provides the protection requirements that are needed. Uh, we're adding in indications. So, you know, one of the questions we keep, keep getting is, well, how do we know that the module has failed or how do we know if it's the driver? So we've added in some LED indications that provide an indication that whether the uh, module itself is still functioning or if you've lost surge protection. So in that case, if the, if the light is out, it would be that the module is no longer functioning? Correct. Or, Typically, okay. yeah. the, if the light's on, the module's functioning. If the light's okay. off, then the module's bad and needs to be replaced. Okay. And I, I know there's a big debate on parallel versus series wired surge protection. And I know, uh, you know, the, the best system from a protection standpoint, I, I believe that would be the series wired, where if the surge protection device fails, it protects everything downstream. But, uh, you know, if that happens on day one <laughs> after an install, that might not that might not be a good thing either. So wh where do you guys see customers headed from that standpoint, or what do you typically advise customers to do? It really, it depends on the school <laughs> of thought and what yeah. the customer is looking for, because yep. there's there's advantages to disadvantages sure. to both aspects, right? So in a parallel connection, uh, if you lose, if for some reason the module goes out and you don't have surge protection, but your light stays on, and for some customers that's important, they yep. want that light to be on as long as possible under any circumstances. You know, you're exposed to the next transient that's gonna come down the line, but that transient may not occur for some period of time. Yep. Uh, so therefore it may not be an issue. Whereas other customers are, okay, if I don't have surge protection, I wanna protect the driver and I wanna know that it's out so I can service it. And that's where a series module really comes in because if it goes offline, it takes the entire fixture offline. So therefore, it's protected from another transient because it's isolated from the AC mains and the light goes out. So you have the indication that, okay, there, there's a problem. We need to have it serviced. Hmm. So it's really just a matter of what the customer wants. It's a preference. There. It really yeah. comes down to preference. And that's what we've seen in the industry too. We kind of get both schools of thought with the customers that we talk to. So to me, it would make sense if you guys are handling the, the over-voltage events to possibly look into the under-voltage events or so, some of the other SAG, you know, SAG situations. We, we had a, an uh, issue recently with a job where there was a fixtures being mounted to a crane. And every time the crane would move, uh, you know, the, the voltage would dip and the fixture would, would, would go out. Um, is, it, is it, I would imagine those are less common, but uh, did you see getting into the power conditioning side of things where you're, cat, where you're more or less taking care of both of those issues? You know, our forte has been in circuit <laughs> protection for yep. so long. Uh, I have not gotten an indication okay. that we're going to look at more uh, power conditioning or power quality type of products. Yep. doesn't mean that we won't. We're yep. doing a little bit of that more on uh, the very low power handheld Yep. Uh, types of devices where we're doing some, we have some filter components and things like that, uh, but nothing yet to the degree that would be needed uh, for a lighting system like this. Okay. Well, anything else you'd want to touch on? Anything else uh, we, we want to cover? Uh, no, I think we cover it pretty well. Cool. Just uh, maybe just a couple more points on, on Little Fuse. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about circuit protection, and you know, we have the broadest portfolio in the industry. And the nice thing about that is, is we get to 
really uh, provide the optimal solution for our customers because we have multiple technologies that we can offer. So we can really provide what's needed for the application. But in addition to circuit protection too, we're really growing in other synergistic areas as well. I mentioned Power Semi before. Uh, we did recently complete an acquisition of Ixa Semiconductor, which provides uh, high power uh, semiconductor power devices from MOSFETs, IGBTs, modules, uh, as well as some gate drivers and things like that. And we also have a line of magnetic as well as temperature sensing devices as well. And <laughs> we're going to continue to try to expand and grow that product portfolio as we move forward. So I think you're going to see a lot of changes over the next few years or a lot of increase in product offering that Little Fuse is going to be offered beyond the circuit protection side. Cool. And all, all good stuff to help the customer protect their investment. Exactly. So, exactly. all right, man. Well, Mark, thank you very much. I appreciate the, the chat. Thank you, Adam. Yep. I appreciate it. Yep.